It's the first week of the Indie Ball season. It's in the books, and we're going to talk about that and much more here on this week's episode of the Indie Ball Report podcast. Yeah, right. We're back again. Episode number 164 of the Indie Ball Report podcast. I'm Nick. He's Will. And I think I may have some allergy thing going on. The more I'm listening to myself talk, the more I'm thinking I'm hearing it a little bit. Well, that's a hot start to this week's episode, isn't it, Nick? It certainly is. It's a very pollinating start is what it is. Nice adjective. I know. Hey, I I use my words very pretty-like. You, I, I can tell, like, you're, and given that I'm writing, like, final papers and stuff in, in school, like, you, you just, like, you really flaunt the language to, to hit the word counts and, like, expand the pages. Like, I feel like you were that type of guy, too. A little bit. It, for me, it wasn't so much having to hit, like, the page count. For me, it was more like, I was just, I find an idea that I'd have to run with that and essay. And this is going to be unrelated to Indie Ball, but this is actually decent advice because the one thing I was extremely, well, I've got a couple of things, but the one thing I was extremely good at was actually writing papers and whatnot. And part of it is once you identify whatever essay prompt it is, what your goal is, you just got to find like one key idea and keep hammering that thing over and over again, but you can't hammer it in the same way. So you just got to find a way to restate that slightly differently and then just pull in a couple of supporting details. You toss those in, make a big deal out of those, and then make, boom, you make, hit, you make those quotes like like a third of a page. You don't even need that. You just need to like like for example, like if you have one of those quotes, let's just say it's about some sort of uh, I don't know, like why a particular text was picked over another like possible substitute. You just give it the old whatever the author's name is, whatever the text is is an excellent example of whatever you're trying to prove in the essay. And you just continue on that track and go, as you could see, as represented in this quote here, insert the quote, the author is trying to bring across whatever the point is. And you just use really high and mighty language that's uh, really not useful in everyday conversation, but is extremely useful in writing things because it makes you sound more intelligent and it makes it sound like you know what you're doing. Also, thesauruses are your friend. That's yeah. Thesauruses are. I feel like they're very underrated. Oh, absolutely. They're honestly better than a dictionary. Way they're the better. Southern, they're the Southern Maryland blue crabs of uh, of reference books. They really are. They re- actually that's a perfect example. They're pretty damn good. No one gives them the respect they deserve, and occasionally you try to use them to do a little too much, but at the end of the day, you're like, you know what? What you're doing, you're extremely good at, and we respect you for that. Exactly, exactly. And that's that's a great segue into this week's Indie Ball, isn't it? It is a fantastic segue into it, because we actually do have a lot of interesting uh, discussion points. In the North Division, it's a lot more murky, I think, in the sense of there's two teams that are really good and three teams that are really not as good. And then in the South Division, there's really... There's teams there that are are still in contention. There's one team that's above everybody else, and then one team that's kind of struggling. Yeah, for sure. I, I think for the North Division, again, we're six games in. Or in in the Barnstormers' case, seven. In Lexington's case, seven. Charleston High Point. You, you get the point. Yeah, they, uh, we're a week into the season. We're a week into the season, so 
let's not jump to conclusions. However, is the North Division not looking like uh, exactly what we were talking about? Southern Maryland and Long Island are very good. York, uh, Lancaster, and Staten Island are not. Although, should Staten Island be 0-6? Probably not. Yeah. Uh, but and, and then the, although the South Division is very interesting so far, I mean, because Gastonia is off to a terrific start. Uh, they've won. They lost opening night in a one-six straight, right? And yeah. uh, and and Charleston's Charleston's right behind them. High Point, we knew it was going to be good. They are, and you know, what can you really draw from a three and four start for Lexington? So a lot to be determined. But I can't. I don't know how many. Uh, conclusions you can draw from the south i think from the north you could kind of go with yeah that's about how i thought that was gonna go yeah the south is just so murky too because schedules and stuff play a large part like we saw gastonia take out uh kentucky wild health or just wild health i guess is what their actual name is and sweep them so i'd say that's a pretty good indicator there but high point meanwhile they swept uh lancaster and they're just not a very good team it looks like early on so it's really hard to say on that front of what exactly are they and it really for all the teams it's hard to say but it's it's tough early on so uh although gotta say at least early joe von rosa four home runs in uh I mean, the dude's got four home runs in seven games to start. Uh, it is a good a start, who, yeah. Certainly. And we, he's, Russ is a guy who, like, uh, whenever he's played in the Atlantic League, played with New Britain for a while, he's a guy that uh, that always hits when he's in the Atlantic League. Sometimes he'll pop out and he'll play in Mexico for a little bit and then he'll come back. Uh, but, I mean, Joe Von Rosa is, I mean, he's always been a really good hitter and uh, you know, he's off to he's off to a blazing start. I mean, he's hitting 400 to start. I mean, Ben Eklinski picking right where he left off last year, uh, starting for starting for High Point as well. So uh, definitely some good starts on the offensive side of the ball, as you as you would come to come to expect with this league. Yeah, I'd say so. I do want to talk about Staten Island. I know we were going to do the inverse and do the news we have first, but I feel like we're having a good conversation about the Atlantic League, so might as well keep yeah. it going. It's an improv, <clears throat> exactly. And I gotta say. Stan Island not exactly doing a great job when I said this is a pitching team because five, five, six, six, nine, and one. That's the amount of runs they've given up in each game. And the thing is, it's not like these losses are that bad. Three, five, okay, one, five isn't great. Four, six, four, six, five, nine, and then a one oh shutout. So it's not like these are terrible losses. And in a handful of games, they've had leads. It's just, it seems like part of it is they, they just they just kind of fall apart. Like, I think there's probably two or three games on here that they probably should have won. They should be around 500, at least when you look at some of the box scores on, these, on this team. Well, yeah, I think the starting rotation has honestly been fine for them early yeah. on. I mean, Julio Tehran has been really good. Uh, so Soltar pitched really well. I mean, he was the, unfortunately got the short end of the stick on Thursday night when they lost one, nothing to, uh, to Southern Maryland. He, you know, he, he, he eventually got the loss with that. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, Rodriguez and Simpson have both been good for them. Uh, it's just like the back end of the bullpen, uh, which we thought was going to be really good has at least struggled a bit early on. Uh, you know, Capion really hasn't been the problem, but Jose Velez uh, has had a couple of rough outings to start, or has had a couple of rough outings to start uh, to start the season. Williams Jerez, a guy who I was very high on 
uh, had has off to a really really rough start. He, he's already got two losses in his uh, his three appearances. He's given up nine earned runs and just two and a third. So mm-hmm. uh, the the bullpen hasn't been very good. I can take some solace in the fact that the starting rotation is, has been fine, uh, and so that's certainly a good thing. But uh, offensively, they're only hitting two fifteen over the first week uh, as a team. Um, so that's definitely something that that they're going to have to fix. And one of the concerns we had for them coming into the season was just the overall depth of that lineup. You just haven't really seen uh, a whole lot, uh, a whole lot from them. And certainly got, well, I mean, one guy that we knew that the two guys in this lineup, we talked about, all right, Krause is going to carry them. Uh, and Clemens is really uh, going to carry them as well. And the, those three, four guys in their lineup, and both of them have been terrific yeah. outside of that. Norberto Susini had a good week. That's about it. Uh, so yeah, Aguilar I, wasn't bad either. Aguilar had a 280 week. Yeah, he did. Yeah, true. He did hit 280. So yeah, it's six Aguilar. RBIs there on base 11 times. So, I mean, it's not a terrible week. Yeah, I, I think just the the overall uh, start to the to the offense is again. Don't want to draw too many conclusions, but. Uh, and statistically speaking, the offense has struggled. I mean, again, I think two fifteen for the week uh, speaks enough about it. Yeah, yeah. I will say it is uh, it is a challenge there. The starting pitching, like you said, well, it's it's not the issue. I mean, you have Rodriguez who had one so so outing, but Soltar was good. Tehran, I mean, we all knew he was going to be good, but he is good. Simpson didn't go long in his one outing, but he was pretty good in that. It is interesting to see a four-man rotation. I mean, that's kind of, you know, a, a different take on it. I probably would have liked to get that fifth starter in there and try to roll that, especially with yeah. the way the bullpens looked. I mean, Connor Law is not doing exactly great. Uh, Vargas yeah, I, in a very short outing isn't good either. Yeah, I, I think that I think that could also be just a beginning of the season thing where you have so many off days early on that you can do that. I, I would bet that that changes pretty quickly. I would hope. I, I wouldn't even be surprised if it was a matter of we want to figure out a way where we could run this rotation where we're not injuring our guys, but we can line up Tehran to pitch certain days. Because, I mean, if you look, he pitched, obviously, the franchise's first game. Then his second outing was Southern Maryland's opening day, which, I mean, Tehran and Daryl Thompson's a pretty good matchup, I gotta admit. And I'd imagine that we can expect to see his next outing be fairy hawks opening day itself so i gotta imagine that's part of it too just to try and line everything up here but yeah i would agree that the offense is kind of the issue at this stage but i mean even still it's not like they're they're totally anemic on offense i mean i listed off them earlier but they have a a couple of four run games and a five run game and a three run game there's only two games that they really didn't you know perform there it's it's more or less that they just have the worst times to fall apart. Like yesterday, for example, the Thursday game where they got shot out, offense didn't show up. Simple as that. They have a lead the day prior. And what happens? The bullpen kind of falls apart and blows it late. It's just, uh, it's an unfortunate way it goes because they had a lead early on, then they lost it, then they got it to tied, and then they blew it in the eighth. So it's a... it's a rough going for them, I will say. But there is enough there where I'm also, like, it's very early. They're closing games, so I'm not that concerned about it either. 
it's so early. Yeah. It's so early that you don't want to draw any sorts of um, any sorts of big sweeping conclusions. But I, I think just comparing it to our uh, initial expectations for them, um, I think that's just the thing that that you think about. Um, and you know, I think the I think that they have plenty of time if they have plenty of time to get this right. I think, however, they have, uh, they have a series that I guess I early on, I would have circled it and said, Hey, this is a winnable series uh, at Gastonia. Well, Gastonia is playing some really good baseball right now. So they're, they're, they're opening up a series against them. Uh, and Gastonia is red hot right now. And honestly, and I can't believe I'm saying this, Nick, Nick you're gonna have to, you're gonna yeah. have to buckle up for this. All right. You ready? Yeah. Gastonia has the second best ERA in the league. Now that's that's a shocker to be quite honest. Like I knew they were good. I didn't realize they were that good. Two fifty seven ERA in their first seven games. I've only walked and in the biggest difference, biggest difference. Sixty three yeah. innings so far. Fifteen yeah. walks. That's... That is night and day from what they were last year. Oh absolutely. I mean hell their whips under one. That's fantastic. Like honestly, yeah. they're doing fantastic here. Glad to see that. Like I've just pulled it up now. Glad to see that some things don't change in regards with Lancaster. Mm-hmm. Some things never change. You know what? They, they, I don't think they've earned us cutting the TBRA check. So, do you, you think we should start it up again? Might as well see. We'll stop doing it when they finish to get their team ERA under six. Oh, are you are you, are you giving hints as to what this is? Well, it's uh, it's another even number. And it's higher than six, but not quite right. ten. You can you can do the honors for week one, Nick. Well, the one and six Lancaster Barnstormers are coming in at an ERA of eight point two eight, a league worst eight point two eight, and fifty eight and two thirds innings pitched as the time of this recording. So uh, not exactly great. It appears they also hit five batters as well, so that's not great either. And the 40 walks also uh, hurts when you're walking about a dude an inning. That's not great. Yeah, I mean, they lead, they lead the league in walks. Uh, they've second in the league in home runs allowed. Uh, they've given up 12 home runs in the first seven games. Just Yeah, just not, uh, not good early on uh, for the Barnstormers. But, uh, you know... Plenty, uh, plenty of time, but uh, man, they've at least I can't even say like starting, relieving. Uh, I mean, gone their their opening day starter has been solid. That's about it. Yeah, like that's only that's been their only really strong game was that opening day against Gastonia, and after that, I was like, oh well, typical Gastonia. It's gonna be another year like that, and then they peel off six straight wins in honestly pretty solid fashion. I mean, they. They go 3-4, 1-8, They, I mean, like, 8 runs, 13 runs, 12 runs, 17 runs, 6 runs. They're putting up a lot of runs, and really, their worst, uh, worst start or worst defensive performance comes in Game 1 with the 5 runs against. So they, just about any other game, they would have won. So it's a very encouraging sign to see that from them. It's a much, much different look than I would have expected, too. And as long as, honestly, this pitching staff stays together, I really, really like this team. Batting-wise, they're not too shabby either. I mean, 
it's not the focal point here, but I mean, you got a lot of guys here that are batting over 300. I understand, you know, we're five, six games into the season, so it's hard to really go way into it. You mentioned Rosa earlier with the four home runs, but I mean, even uh, Luis Roman, he has hit three home runs this to this point. You have other guys that are batting over 400. In the case of Davis, there's a lot of guys here that look very good. And like I said, the pitching is really what the focus is, as we uh, made note of with the uh, ERA check. Well, on the offensive side of it, too, I think for Gastonia, uh, I mean, they're hitting 302 as a team, an OPS of 945, lead the league in home runs with 12. Uh, and the one thing, the one stat in particular that jumps out to me about Gastonia is something we did not see from them last year. And then I, I don't want to say it's a it's because it's early. You don't know if it'll be indicative of how they play for the season. They're running a ton. Yeah. Uh, they the first seven games. How about twenty stolen bases? Twenty for twenty-three uh, oh, yeah. for Gastonia. That is something that we really have not seen from them uh, much, much at all uh, in their first season. And uh, I think that's look. That's that's a really interesting number i i think when you when you're when you're looking at uh, a lot of this team is everybody most of these guys can run on this team and that adds a new dimension uh that they really that they didn't have last year we knew they could hit the power uh but stolen bases i mean they, they're looking to run they're looking to put pressure on the defense uh, and, and and it's really uh playing right into their hands offensively as well honestly it's making for very entertaining baseball where they pretty much shut down the opposing offense they're running, they're hitting, they're doing everything. It, it's a very entertaining form of baseball there, and it does add a lot of different uh, different threats on that offensive side. Yeah, it's, it generally generally baseball is entertaining when you're shutting down the team uh, pitching wise, and yeah. you're uh, and you're scoring a lot of runs offensively. It's a huh. fun game. Is it now? I, I wouldn't know about that. Yeah. Oh, well, that that's interesting. Although I will say one thing: looking at this team here. I look at Riley Hovis, and I understand he's only pitched in one game. I think he's probably going to get to go either today or tomorrow, depending on... Well, it doesn't really depend. I was about to say, depending on when you're listening to this, but that really wouldn't have an effect on when he's going to pitch. Uh, so, in the three-inning start he had, he has a two-whip, and that's the highest on the team. It's just kind of funny to me that that's uh, that this guy, who's probably one of the better pitchers on the staff, is, uh, is at that point. But even, like, you look at their worst starter... It's the former major leaguer in uh, Walden. And that's just like, this is actually a really good team. And that's something I didn't expect to see. Like, I don't, like with the rest of them, I think we could chalk it up. Oh, it's early years. So it's hard to say. This actually looks like a very good team. Yeah, great. And I, I think, again, it, it, it's early, but I think Walden's a guy that I think would, that I think would pick it up. He's had an established track record in, in AAA of, of success. And uh, I mean, a couple guys have done have done really really well for them. I mean, McGuire striking out thirteen one walk compared to thirteen strikeouts in his first eleven in the third innings. I mean, Bivens hasn't allowed a run yet out of the bullpen. Um, he's been solid. And and hey, how about John Anderson? I mean, yeah. the, I mean the Barnstormers really struggling pitching wise. You tell me they couldn't have given John Anderson a call. Yeah. Like, the, and John Anderson is one of the best pitchers they've had. Uh, and he's. Uh, and he's, of course, at the front of that Gastonia rotation as well. So, uh, I mean, Anderson's a guy who's really – he's been around the Atlantic League and Indie Ball a while, and he's a really, really good arm, and uh, he's doing well so far for Gastonia. So it, it looks like Gastonia, they took their lumps year one for sure, 
and it looks like they're kind of they're they're revamping things, they're changing things around. Uh, and at least early on, the returns have been good. Absolutely, there. And I just want to point out something that's completely unrelated here. When you do the uh, go to the attendance tab on this Atlantic League website, it's kind of funny. They only have put up the average attendance for the teams that are uh, at or above three thousand per game. So, like for example, Gastonia, like we were just talking about, they're about eleven thousand five hundred through their seven openings so far. They do not put up the average attendance there. It's kind ah. of an interesting little thing there. Same thing with High Point. They'd be under two thousand. They don't have the average up. Only thing that's kind of interesting though is with Lexington, they are over that three thousand threshold. Uh, they're at about twenty three thousand three hundred through seven openings, so they would clear that threshold. They don't have an average up for them, so I'm not sure if it's just a flaw in website design. Some that somewhere in the coding doesn't actually project the average; it just shows it a zero. I'm not sure if it's they're just not putting it up there. I'm not sure if it's a glitch, whatever it may be. It's just they only have two averages up at the moment, and both of them are at or above three thousand. Yeah, I'm gonna go with a glitch just because of you know the Lexington yeah. numbers would be up there as well, and it just doesn't seem like uh, I, I don't I, I would bet on it being a glitch, but mm-hmm. I at least initially I, I do see what you mean about about attendance wise, and uh, I mean hey. Talking about attendance, how about Thursday? I, I think uh, Charleston had a school game. Apparently, it's a complete sellout against yeah. the Ducks. So, uh, so, so good for them in that sense. I'm sure the Toastman had a, a pretty good time, uh, even though the the even though the the Dirty Birds uh, pitching staff did not have a good time. Yeah. Joe Testa giving up 14 hits in four innings. That's not good. That's exactly great. But hey, a sellout of, of five thousand of five thousand three hundred, and uh, so I mean, good for them. But you know, uh, you look at you look at other attendance numbers. Again, it's early, and uh, you, the bigger attendance will come towards the summer anyway. But Gastonia definitely off to a not so great start in that department. Yeah, that's the thing. They're great on the field, in the stands, they're not as great. You would hope that, you know, like you said, as it goes along, that you get more people in there. But it is something to watch there uh, on that front. And uh, I will say, though, as I think we're just about done with a lot of our Atlantic League talk, because like I said, it's early in the year and it's hard to draw too, too many conclusions here uh, unless there's another point you want to talk about. But it must be a sight, though, if you're an opposing pitcher and you have the toast man with an army of school children behind him. That is oh, a that is frightening. That that's amping it up a couple of levels, and that's uh, that's something else. That is absolutely terrifying. I I can't even think of that. Yeah, it's, that's really scary. It really is. It, it gotta be. But uh, is there anything else really in the Atlantic that we need to touch on this week? I feel like we covered really the two major things, which would be Gastonia's hot start and the not-so-hot start for the Ferry Hawks. Obviously, they have their home opener coming up. Obviously, we got a lot of teams having their home openers coming up this weekend. And uh, a couple of series that I don't really think there's too many must-wins at this point in the year, but I would hope that Stan Island can get a win before we next record. Yeah, one would hope they could get a win over the next week. They'll get a win. They'll yeah. get a win. Because if they hit a, a 0 for 12 stretch here, I, I'm going to start getting ready to call them for this half of the year. I'm not going to lie. I mean, I understand you have till July 4th, 
and you could turn it around. But, uh, an 0 in 12 hole is a pretty, pretty large hole to have to dig out of. Oh yeah, definitely. But you know, well, we'll, we'll, well, we could talk next week about it. We'll see how it goes. But exactly, it's, yeah. it's still so early. Exactly. For a lot of teams next week, I think we'll be able to get some more, uh, a lot more clarity on, uh, how things will be starting to break out. So hopefully we'll get that. So on that note, uh, that just about does it for the on the field discussion today, unless it comes up somewhere else in a later conversation. What we do have, though, is a lot of news this week. And it's kind of funny because if this would have happened like two weeks ago, all this news, we would have had a tremendous last offseason show because there's actually some really good stuff in here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a lot of see a lot of preseason. I know we're talking baseball now, but. The Frontier League and American Association uh, news as well. And Frontier League draft just happening, so some good stuff. Exactly. I mean, really, who doesn't like some good old-fashioned stadium drama like we got in Sioux City oh, here? Yeah, so that's I first saw... That's what we need. Exactly, it is what we need. It's. I first saw this on Monday, I believe it's Monday, Monday or Tuesday, and I was like, I'm not really sure what to make of this. And uh, we'll we'll give you the lowdown. Y'all will make your conclusions, no doubt. And uh, we'll obviously discuss this here. But <clears throat> what we have in Sioux City, one of the older teams in the American Association, founded in our stadium was built in '93. Uh, their owner John Roost is threatening to relocate the team. The cause of this uh, ire and possible relocation being the condition of the seats in the stadium. Uh, says if they uh, leave, they're never coming back to Sioux City. Keep in mind, Sioux City is one of the smaller markets in the American Association. Uh, I know in past years, especially when you look at attendance compared to the rest of the league, they are, you know, not exactly in the middle of the pack. They're kind of trailing the pack a little bit. Uh, this has caused an operation for a loss for some time now. Uh, the claim is that this co- this team is costing Roos roughly a million dollars or more annually. So that is a concern here. Uh, for some that are wondering, well, why doesn't he just pay to upgrade the seats himself? It's simply put, he doesn't own the stadium. The city owns the stadium. So that is a problem on that front because the city's going to more than likely need to do that work. It's their ballpark. They're kind of on the hook for that. Plus, you don't want to go around fixing stuff that isn't yours because there is a a kind of a deadline for when these seats got to be in and that is opening day now as we will know and as we will point out later on when we kind of go through the rest of our scheduling for may at the end of this episode opening day is not that far off it's roughly two weeks off and there are roughly speaking a thousand three thousand seats in this ballpark so you're going to need to replace three thousand seats in about two weeks all in short notice without these seats having been ordered yet in a time where you do have supply chain issues of getting these seats in. So this is just really not a feasible thing at this stage. Now, why is this really that much of a concern? Why are the seats this pressing of an issue? Well, supposedly people have been calling to either change their ticket plans to less expensive options where they will get the metal bleacher seats instead so that way i guess their seat doesn't break on them while they're using it or they just outright cancel the ticket plans entirely as we know these ticket plans these group sale type events these are kind of the big money ticket for these teams this is where you're getting a lot of your revenue from this and a lot of walk-up sales those are kind of your two bigger uh ticket sale items that said 
the city has basically said we're cash strapped we can't afford to do all 3,000 seats what we can do is 820 seats by august the reason like i said by august is because if you were to order these seats now you probably wouldn't get them till august so you could start doing it then that doesn't really solve the problem because you know that's only like a third of the seats if even so not quite good enough last time these seats were replaced because i think some people may be going well well if they haven't been changed at all then yeah they need to get redone they were last redone so the original seats put in in 93 were taken out in 2003 so 10 years uh the original seats lasted these seats are going on to year 19 so it is a little bit of an older seating setup here and to do that last replenishment cost 400,000. so you scale up for inflation because that's going to happen over you know 17 to 20 years it's going to be a bit more expensive than in the past no doubt obviously uh roost he doesn't quite want plastic seats again because they warped they got weaker in the sun after all those years he would prefer metal seats similar to what they have in lincoln for people that are familiar with haymarket's uh ballpark and as if it's a cost issue roost offered to front the town the money now the problem is the town can't really take roost money to go buy these seats because the town has not budgeted in the extra debt of bringing for the seats so basically when you do your city budget you go okay we're going to have this much debt on hand for the next fiscal year if you just drop in in the middle of a fiscal year another let's just say and i don't know the exact number here but let's just for the sake of argument call it a million dollars for these seats to buy them and to physically have town workers put them in that's a large extra amount of debt that gets dumped in in the middle of a cycle that you didn't budget for so they can't really do that they haven't bonded out for it they haven't made any sort of financial plan for it and to do all that on such short notice would be very difficult to pull off if not impossible so that's kind of where the issue is for anyone wondering where the lease money goes to it's about $25,000 a year lease for this ballpark that all goes towards ballpark upgrades the city isn't or hasn't it totally neglected this ballpark over the last few years they've spent upwards of two million dollars on it between a brand new uh kind of box office and resurfacing the parking lot and uh all in all we don't really have a deadline set for the last possible date but should the uh, <clears throat> the seats not be put in should there not be an agreement reached supposedly roos claims he's going to threaten to sue the town for everything he has put in over the tenure of his ownership which is approximately 38 million dollars so it is a, a lot of drama filled situation on, on all fronts on this uh sioux city situation yeah definitely not a good situation at all i uh, i think from the top um <laughs> just the fact that let's say the city did agree to to replace all the seats which they're not going to right now yeah um there's it's just so hard to do this like so close to to opening day and i can't imagine like it's hard for me to like envision because i guess i've never had this issue before when i go to a game but sitting in a broken seat like are we talking about it being like cracked are we talking about I don't know. I mean, I've had some broken ones at uh, Yogi Bear over the few over the years. Oh, uh, well, shocking. Yeah, I don't really. But, you know, I don't think it's I wouldn't be canceling a ticket plan over that. I mean, if I got there and my seat was broken, you know, I would probably want to speak to one of the ticketing managers just so that way I can be like, "Hey, look, my seat's broken." If there's nothing 
available, uh, like, either a row above me or a row below me? Can I find something, like, at least in the same section that I can move to that my seat isn't broken in so that way I can just keep doing that? It seems like a fairly simple solution unless, you know, all these seats are on the verge of breaking, you know? Yeah, I think part of, uh, I think part of, uh, of Ruth's, uh, John, uh, the part of John Ruth's thing is to kind of just put pressure on the, to try and put pressure on the city because of, I mean, it's a really tough position because he's not really in, uh, he's not really in a great position to make these repairs himself. And it seems like he has made lots of repairs. Uh, to to the stadium in general it's just like the city is just not doing it's not holding up its end of the bargain and it's 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 poorly run and uh it's 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 a really a shame uh that it has to come to this and you know especially i can understand Bruce saying okay i will i will literally pay for it right now as long as you promise to pay me back for it and then the city can't do that because it's not factored into the budget. I mean, it's just, it's just a whole mess. Um, and, uh, and, and I feel bad really for, for Sioux city and, and all of those involved as far as this, like, I don't know if, I don't know if I believe that people are canceling season tickets because of the seats. Uh, yeah. I, I, cause, cause at the end of the day, like all seats can't be in the same condition. Like I just can't see that. Uh I don't doubt that it's a problem, but I think part of it is trying to like trying to play the game and put pressure on them uh, and whatnot. But uh, but I feel like this could be far from over just because uh, it sounds like when this happened with the parking lot in the in at the at the stadium uh, where there was like huge potholes and stuff, uh, he had to threaten to sue them to get the city to pay uh, to get the city to pay anything. Um, and that's, that's a, it's a big problem because at the end of the day, right. It'd be one thing if like an owner is just like begging the city for help in a problem that's his own in a private, this is a, this is, this is town, this is city property, right? Yeah. And it's city property that comes down. And when it, when it, something is wrong and it, and it doesn't, and it doesn't work how it's supposed to and attendance suffers because of it. The city's not the one that takes the, that it's really going to take the fall. It's the ownership group. And that's the tough, and that's the really the tough part about this because you got to give the city a reason to care about it. And I think without putting pressure and putting public pressure on the city like this, it's hard to get them to care. Uh, it, it, and it's just it's just a bad situation and it's really tough because it's the city the, the city are the ones who who own the stadium and have the power to make the changes that that the that the the, the stadium desperately needs yeah it that's the thing like i first started off when i was reading the article which is linked in the show notes uh by going oh well roost is kind of you know I wasn't really on his side, but the more I read about it, the more I'm like, it does seem like the city really drags his feet. Like you mentioned, well, he had to threaten to sue them just to get them to resurface the parking lot that was creating all sorts of issues. And it does seem like he's trying his best. He's making efforts here. And that's really all he can do is go, hey, you know, I'm trying to find a middle ground with you here and they just can't do it. What I think would be a perfect solution here, or as close to one as you can get, is that they put in the order for the 820 seats 
we start replacing him there with the promise to get the rest of these things done over the next, like, say, 18 months. So that way, by a certain date, it's all taken care of and done that this is budgeted in. But it does seem like it's an ongoing issue with the city where I'm not sure if they're just so cash strapped that they can't afford to dump more money towards this ballpark or if it's a matter of they just really don't want to pay for this ballpark's upkeep, which if that's the case, then I mean, I have a hard time blaming an owner that says, hey, if I can get a new ballpark or a better ballpark or just a better civic partnership with somebody else elsewhere going and doing that. I mean, again, like you mentioned, well, he's the one that's at the end of the day got to eat that supposed million dollar loss. Now, whether or not it's that high, I don't know, but he's the one eating the loss if whether it's a uh, a good ballpark, not a good park, mark, good relationship or not. He's the one who's got to deal with this. So I, I definitely get the frustration there. I mean, if I was throwing away that kind of money every year and I'm not even getting basic stuff done in return, I'd be pretty frustrated as well. And it just, I feel bad for the people of Sioux City in the situation because it's like they, they, I'm sure, you know, want to go out, they want to support the team. But if you're constantly seeing a ballpark that's, you know, in need of repair, it really disincentivizes you to want to go out. And it also makes it very difficult if you're in like the marketing department of this team to go out and try to promote this team when it's kind of understanding you have a very uphill battle when you're playing in a ballpark that's not exactly easy to attract people to. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think that uh, it, it's really tough to, it's really tough on the, the staff of, of the explorers themselves. And th those are the people that are really hurt by the, the city's incompetence. And that's, that's the sad part because there's, there's not a whole lot they can do. Cause at the end of the day, at the end of the day, they have to continue to continue to do their jobs mm -hmm. and, and try and, and try and keep the team afloat. And when the city who owns the stadium just is not doing their part. And that's, it, it's the sad reality of what this situation is. And maybe the, Maybe at some point the the city could pay. I don't think this will be solved by opening day. Oh, it certainly won't. I mean, unless uh, unless this plan of replacing some of the some of the seats now and some of the seats over the next couple of years, I think that's probably the most realistic option. So you can at least get uh, you can at least get some sort of repairs uh, done in there. But you know, it, it's a tough situation because it doesn't seem like this partnership is is really great. Uh, however, uh, as far as like moving the team, I don't know if that would actually happen. Yeah, you know, it's not something you see a lot of in indie ball to begin with. Um, it, you see more kind of folding and stuff like that. You don't see a whole lot of just simple relocation, uh, but. You know, it's just, it's just really... Uh, yeah, plus, it, you need a, a place to go. Yeah. Yeah. Like, where are they going to go? Are they going to go to Southern Maryland, who already had... Or not Southern, Southern Illinois, where they already have a slate kind of filled up for the summer as to what's going to happen on their ballpark? Like, you, you can't... There's no place to really go. Unless you're going to try and go with Jackson, Tennessee again. But we all saw how that worked out last year. It's far from an ideal situation. Yeah, I mean, you like, think you, you think you think the city and uh, you think the city and the team hate each other in, in Sioux City. Just wait till you hear about Jackson, Tennessee. Yeah, and it's that Jackson would just be a one-year stopover. I mean, they are getting the uh, prospect league team in there, so uh, it's not like they're going to exactly uh, be able to be there long term. 
a lot of the viable ballparks have a summer team that's in there. And while, yeah, you could do a sharing situation, sure, it's not a long-term solution. You can't really do much there. So unless you're going to be going to, like, say, maybe, like, Fort Worth, that's the one that comes to mind that everyone wants back and that I'm sure the American Association would like to get another team in Texas to kind of help out Cleburne. Like, come on, there's not really many choices here for them to go. So it would be, I think, just folding as the option here. And then maybe you see Roost and whomever else he wants to have as an ownership group reemerge two or three years later in a brand new market with a brand new team. Like, that would just make way more sense than relocating. Instead of, you know, after you fold, liquidating all the assets, you just keep certain shit that you plan to repurpose later on. Like, that would just be, at least in my mind, the more logical way. Now, there could be a financial incentive for doing something else, but if he's losing supposedly a million a year, I gotta imagine folding is more economically viable than uh, relocating. But it does seem more or less like a threat at this stage. Yeah, I I, I totally agree with that. And we don't know what kind of, I guess, money Roost has, like, at its disposal. I mean, it's... I, it seems like a lot if he's been uh, if he's been if he's paid for over thirty million dollars in stadium upgrades, right? Yeah, if uh, so, I think what I'd say like twenty five years and it was thirty eight million roughly. Yeah, yeah. So, so he's got some money to throw around, but you can't keep taking million dollar losses uh, for the year. At the end of the day, the the long term solution here is fix the seats. So, yeah. city, do your job, fix the seats. Honestly, what would almost just be a better like the best possible outcome would almost just be a new ballpark. If this ballpark's in that bad of shape, yeah. then it seems like that would be it. But I mean, the I time agree. to do it that would have been before. Realistic. Yeah, it's not realistic. That's the issue. And the time to even really made that push would have been before you, the city put in the new parking lot and box office. Like that would have right, been exactly. the ideal time. But then also, I have no idea what the layout of Sioux City is. Is there even a place where you could put a new ballpark in? But it it's just a... It's an unfortunate thing for one of the older teams in independent league ball, too, that this is the situation we find ourselves in. But, uh, I mean, it's going to have to get resolved one way or the other. I don't see any way, especially at this point, where they're going to, two weeks before opening day, be able to go, oh, well, <clears throat> we're playing in uh, Kokomo, Indiana now, or wherever it may be. Like, they're, they're not going to be able to pull that off unless they want to go on the road. And I got to imagine... And I understand that, you know, League Brass works for team owners. I can't imagine everybody would be thrilled about doing that again. You, you can't yeah. have a, a traveling situation. And I don't think they want to do a sharing situation like Winnipeg had to do during the pandemic. Like, they really want to avoid that kind of thing and just have a regular year. So I got to imagine, if anything, it would be, uh, all right, fine. Then this is our last year here in uh, Sioux City as opposed to where we're leaving right away. They can't leave right away. At the end of the day, they're going to play at this park. There's just no way. Yeah. Um, now, what condition the park is going to be in, we'll have to see. And whether yeah. and what the long-term solution is, we'll have to see. But uh, I just th- they'll they'll end up playing at uh, at their home stadium. It's just a matter of the condition it's in and what they want to do long term. Exactly. Plus, I wonder what the lease is like for uh, Lewis and Clark Park. I wonder what that lease is like too. Like, what's the uh, opt out or if it's a one-year type deal? Like you do one year, but you kind of auto renew it or something. It'd be interesting to see that. Yeah, I wonder, but I don't know. 
Yeah. Well, either way, it's a, it's a situation over there in Iowa, so we'll keep an eye on it, and we will see uh, how that develops. But elsewhere, we have the Frontier League, which had a very, very big week this week, and that is via the Frontier League draft and a bit of a rebrand. By bit, I mean a complete and total overhaul of both the website and the uh, logo and branding. We're going to touch on the draft first here, and then we'll get into that branding second. And then after that, we just have to kind of go over our general plan for May, and then we'll be just about done and out of here for the week. Uh, but first, Frontier League draft. It was held on April the 27th. We had 40 players selected in the draft, led off by the Gateway Grizzlies. Number one overall selection, left-handed pitcher Anthony Aries. Uh, a couple other guys that at least looking through here, the names pop out to me a bit that were familiar. Bruce Spell was a guy, uh, also a pitcher, right-handed, that is. Uh, I also remember seeing a Nick Beardsley's name, a right-handed uh, pitcher as well. There's a couple of other guys in there that lit as though they went undrafted that I remembered seeing. Avery Tuck was one of those guys that went undrafted that I remember having played some games there. When you look through the list, and the list is available on the Frontier League site, I'll try to get the, the full day two list, which is really your pool of eligible players to draft, as well as the full uh, 40 uh, drafted uh, players. As well, I'll put both of those in the show notes. There's some interesting guys, but by and large, when it comes to these uh, training camp drafts, the expectations are held in fairly relatively low regard. Yeah, for sure. You're looking for rookies and certain guys who can um, who can help plug little gaps, and you're kind of just taking a home run swing. Uh, there's not really much risk here uh, at all. Uh, there's, and there's a couple interesting guys here, like Anthony uh, Anthony Arias, the first uh, the first pick in the draft. Uh, he's a guy who's been in the Frontier League before, pitched a couple of years with with Evansville. Um, uh, he's had some decent numbers, but uh, you know the walks have been high, so you're not going to get any really game changing talent from the Frontier League draft. You mentioned Bruce Bell, certainly a guy that popped out to me as well, uh, just because he he pitched in York uh, last season. Um, he struggled big time in New York last year, so perhaps maybe a move, even though he did make five starts with, with Tri-City and struggled in that too. I don't know, maybe that changes this year. Uh, you, would, you, would, you would hope so um, after his time in the USVBL. Um, yeah, but I think a lot of guys, you're just looking to, to, to get some rookies, plug some gaps. You don't know who's coming back. Specifically on the pitching side, you're going to have a lot of pitchers drafted in this. Uh, guys who, who show well and show off uh, well in the bullpen, uh, in, in like a bullpen and in some live, some live BP, some live ABs. Um, you know, you're going to see mostly pitching here, just kind of taking swings on guys for tops who throw hard, maybe have a legitimate plus pitch and see what you can do with that. But I don't, I don't think you're going to see any, uh, big time game changers, but you know, I think Arias is interesting. I think Bruce Bell, uh, getting a shot, another shot in the frontier league with Washington is, is interesting as well. Yeah. I think there's definitely a handful of guys here that are, you know, interesting, like you mentioned, but overall, I, I think it was just, uh, more or less important just to mention that the draft happened, that there were some guys there. No one else really jumped out that you didn't mention or that I didn't mention. Uh, so, you know, you, it's curious to see how many of these guys will remain on the roster for a while. I mean, look at the Atlantic League draft. How many of those guys that were drafted wound up on opening day rosters? You know, like it seems like a lot of with these, yeah. it's more or less you're filling up either roster requirements or you're just required to draft a certain amount of guys. So 
you draft them, and if they make it, they make it. If they don't, they don't. Nothing's guaranteed, so hey. Exactly. Yep. So uh, on that front, we do have the rebrand that we do need to discuss. Uh, I was really not expecting to see a Frontier League rebrand, but we do have new logos and a new website. Uh, the logo itself, again, this is a visual thing on a uh, audio medium, so it's going to be kind of hard to see. Just go to the Frontier League website if you want to see all of it. It's pretty easy and straightforward there, and we'll have the new logo in the, I guess, thumbnail or the kind of picture we put up with the post. So, hey, it's available for you to see if you want to see it. It's a flag with a compass that sits in the middle, and the two arrows on the compass cut the flag in half with a red half and a blue half. The red represents the Canadian markets. The blue represents the American markets. The compass is representative of forging a new path, a new uncharted path, and the reason for it pointing north is because the league is always looking upward and better, very symbolic. It's a nice logo overall. I'm obviously sentimental to the older logo, uh, just because it's always been the logo there, so it's kind of weird to see something new there, but it is a nice logo. It's maybe not what you'd expect to see from a a sports league. It doesn't have that kind of traditional sports league feel to it. Also a bit odd that just the kind of logo part of the logo, there's no text on it. So any sort of text would be featured underneath it or above it. So that is really banking on a lot of uh, just kind of brand recognition. There's no player on it. There's no anything. It's just the compass with the baseball in the center and the kind of flag set up in the background. But overall, it does look nice. I know I, I may be criticizing it a little bit, but it does look nice. It's the kind of thing where if you put it on like the back of a hat or the back of a jersey, it would not look out of place at all. And quite frankly, it's just kind of aesthetically pleasing. It's a nice little refresh. I do like that. The website also, uh, it used to look like something that quite frankly, it was out of the 2000s. Now it looks like it belongs in the 2020s. The tabs are still the same. Uh, it's just a little easier to navigate. It divides the teams into East and West Division a lot easier, a lot nicer. It's just more aesthetically pleasing. Uh, everything's just a little bit easier to find. And like I said, overall, you can find everything a bit easier. You got the shop button, you got your tickets and your watch on flow, all your little social media icons. Everything's just like I said, easy to access, more free-flowing, looks more modern. It's a solid refresh there. One little practical note, uh, Presto Sports is going to handle all of the statistics on the website now. So as opposed to being powered through, I want to say, Point Streak, last, now it's going to be Presto Sports handling it. And obviously we can't see how that goes. There's no stats to report, but just kind of going through the pages, it does look like it's a very clean setup as well. I gotta say the, the website looks really good. Yeah, uh, the, it came out really nice. It is a significant upgrade over Point Streak. I mean, Point Streak in general is just so bleh. I mean, mm. I I Point Streak's just annoying. I don't know. Like, it's, it's better than the Atlantic old. League site, though. Yeah, I guess, but that's not a very high bar to clear. Fair. Um, uh, but I, I really like as far as at the top of the. Uh, at the top of the Frontier League website, you got the teams broken up into East and West for for fans who maybe aren't diehard fans in the league. You'd be like, well, who are these teams? What divisions are they in? Well, now you can see. Um, and, and, you know, as far as the logo, I, I would have liked to have some sort of text on it. However, I think the logo itself, it's sleek. Uh, it, it looks pretty good. Uh, it's, it's, it is unique. I kind of like the, 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 I'll call it a sword or like a diamond, like through yeah. the, like, 
through the logo diagonally uh, with the baseball in the front. I, I think it's an I think it's a nice looking logo. Definitely not something that I've usually seen from uh, that I that I've seen much of uh, from from a professional sports league. However, I think it's it's unique. It's pretty good looking. Uh, overall, I'm a fan of it. Um, I, I like the logo. I think it's a it's a nice little refresh. But I, I'm a big fan of the website. I think the website looks great now. Uh, I think it'll be much easier. And of course, you can't prove the whole thing about um, about stats and stuff because yeah. we have, there aren't stats to report yet. So we'll have to see back on that. But I think also I love how they have a whole thing for. Uh, a whole tab for playoff format. It is very easy to get from league standings. Okay, why do I care about these league standings? What relevance do they have to the playoff format? Well, it's right under. So I think that's a really good, uh, as a terrific um, touch, and it's uh, it, it's a really it's really good, and it's built towards I think the uh, the the casual fan who maybe doesn't follow every single game, which I think is smart because that that's the market for most independent league teams. So. I think it's a it, the website of a really big fan of. I want to touch on what you just said one second. I also like how easy it is to navigate because it's going to make covering the league a lot easier too. If it's easier for a casual fan, it's easier for me. So it's it's I applaud them for making it easy and not difficult to find stuff like the Atlantic League site is. That's extremely hard to find stuff there. I do want to say though the fact that they make it all easy and whatnot and geared towards the casual fan. You could find where to watch online easier. You, plus, if you, you notice when you hover over the games on the top of the page there, now it shows you, you know, upcoming games. And it looks just like in the 21st century now. If you hover over it, you have both the watch icon and the little uh, other icon. One to watch online and the other one, if you click on it, it brings you right to tickets. So if you've stumbled on the Frontier League website, perhaps maybe you say you heard about it through word of mouth. So you look it up, you go, you hover right over it. You click on it because you see, oh, Sussex County. I live in Sussex County. Why not uh, see if I can't get tickets to this game? Boom, right there. It's all one click and boom, you're right to the ticket page to buy you know, tickets for that game. And that's a nice little plus too. It's a very easy, very convenient way. And you want to make it extremely easy for people that are trying to you know, buy your product. If it becomes a pain in the ass or a hassle, they're just going to say, no, we're good. We're not going to buy uh, any... Uh, any uh tickets or your product because we it's just not worth it to us but if it's one click one click done hey a lot of people are going to go for that yeah totally agree uh it's just a lot of easy links and links to a lot of different directions in one place and i think i think that's really smart i think it's a good way to go about it and so I'm uh, really happy with how this website turned out it's really cool i'm a big fan of it and uh they did a nice job yep and that leaves only one partner league uh left to do any sort of re or i shouldn't even call it rebrand it's more of a refresh i guess because they didn't change the name of anything they just refreshed everything it leaves the atlantic league now that's just holding firm their logo and their website which do i think they probably need to refresh the logo maybe it is a little dated but i'm kind of okay with where it's at to be honest like i don't think it's that pressing of a thing but man would i love to see a brand new website I would love that so, so much to get a new website. It needs a website refresh so bad, but I think the logo is fine. The website needs help now. Yeah, like, at least, if you're not going to do the whole website, for the love of God, at least do something with the stat page. Because the stat page is right. so horrible to navigate. And you can't sort by any sort of date range, which makes it 
it's just that much more difficult. It, 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 it needs to be redone. It really does. I, I pray to God that it gets redone sooner than later. Yeah, I totally agree. It, it, it is, it, it's rough. So two leagues down, one to go. Exactly. Well, three, because Pioneer League 2 took care of their business oh, a, a little bit ago. Seems like whenever there's a regime change in the uh, leadership group within like 24 months, refresh of the brand. So interesting how that exactly. goes. But all right, that just about does it for us this week. We're out of news. We're out of baseball to talk about. So next week, we are going to return. The May plan is to do the uh, American Association preview next week, then the Frontier League preview after that. We are working on an interview for the week after that, or at least to release the week after that. And then there should be a Pioneer League preview to finish out the month. Obviously, when we do the previews, they're a little bit longer. So we're going to try and keep them a little bit shorter. Uh, admittedly, the Amer- the Atlantic League one ran a bit too long, I think. But uh, now that we have other stuff to talk about, too, we'll try to keep the other three leagues a little bit more condensed and to the point. But that should be the plan. First week of May, American Association preview. Second week of May, uh, Frontier League preview. Those leagues both start pretty much at the same time within a day of each other. So you can't really do the previews. Uh, two in the same episode, that'd just be way too much and way too long. We're talking like three and a half, four hours for an episode there. And I don't want to edit that. I don't think either me or Will want to record for that long. And uh, and I don't think anyone wants to listen to four hours of this show at a time. Uh, although if you do, God bless you. Um, and then so after those two, uh, it's possibly an interview, possibly something else. And then Pioneer League uh, preview to end off the month. That's the plan for May. And when we get to June, we'll tell you about June. But until then, that is the setup. Yeah, uh, it is It is officially baseball and preview season. So very, very exciting stuff. Way better than uh, off-season to kind of scrape the bottom of the barrel for news season. That, that season is always terrible. Way better. Way better. Yep. So uh, with that... We're going to go ahead and go to the plugs. If you want to follow the show, you can do so on Twitter at IndieBallPod. You can do so on Instagram at ALPP underscore news and at IndieBallReport. If you want to find the links to everything we discussed today, they'll be in the show notes. Where can you find the show notes? You can find the show notes on the website, IndieBallReport.com. You can also find all the episodes, articles, and everything else that we do on that website, IndieBallReport.com. Uh, then you could just follow the show, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you find podcasts. So that's TuneIn, that's Stitcher, that's Google Play, that is Apple Podcasts, that is Amazon Music, that is just about anywhere you find podcasts. So be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on that. Do we have anything else left to add now that I'm done flubbing a line four times in a row? Uh, the Celtics are so good. They're so good. I think they can win the championship. It is an insane turnaround from what it was that Nick never fails to point out. Uh, I'm reading uh, that on Twitter. I'm reading that tweet. Come the come the finals, uh, NBA finals for the Celtics. I'm really I, running I, out of gas here. <laughs> yeah. Although to to be fair, I, I still think it was justified at the time. That's how bad it was. Uh, however. Um, it, it was. It's been a fun ride. Kyrie sucks, and the Celtics are absolutely rolling. And I gotta say, like, I, I'm, I'm so happy. I'm happy they beat the Nets. I could have never imagined they would sweep them. Uh, and you know, it rewards playing basketball the right way and not just taking games off because you feel like it. 
uh, and not playing defense because you because you don't feel oh, like it. You're slandering it, it, a member of the Brotherhood. I see, but I'm also praising a member of the Brotherhood, Jason Tatum. So I know this is why I'm very conflicted. <laughs> uh, so I, I think that beating a team because you're tougher, you're better coached, and you're playing defense, it, it makes my heart happy. Uh, and uh, the Nets are just bad, and Kyrie sucks, and it's really great. And the Celtics are hopefully going to the finals, and I, that would make me very happy. See, Kyrie's a character is what Kyrie is, because Kyrie, the basketball player, is actually pretty good. It's just Kyrie, the person, is extremely interesting and sometimes is, uh, well, not sometimes, he's always a great quote. So that's why he attracts a lot of attention. And I can see why he's kind of just the way he is. At the same time, it's like, Kyrie, man, <laughs> you really kind of put your team behind an eight ball here. I'm not going to lie to you. But how about the other Brotherhood member in Seth Curry? Now, he's a guy. He uh, is very, I like Seth Curry. He's cool. I'm just saying the Nets were led by Seth Curry and Blake Griffin. Because Kevin well, Durant looked like Sam Darnold. Well, Blake Griffin's not a member of the Brotherhood, though. He is not. He's an Oklahoma boomer sooner. So I'm just saying, they were led by two guys they should not have been led by. There was two other guys that should have. And then there's Ben Simmons. The role players were, yeah, well, Ben Simmons. But the role (laughs) players did their part. Uh, Unfortunately, the Stars did not do theirs. I mean, Kyrie didn't have a good series, for sure. Yeah. Then also, I think, honestly, I'd say Durant was worse, though, because there's legitimate moments where he looked scared. Like, he looked like he saw a ghost. So seeing ghosts. Yeah. Anyone he, else see ghosts? I think there's one uh one dude. He, I think he's a quarterback or something for the Florida Panthers. Florida Panthers. Yeah, it's the Florida Panthers. They got a quarterback on the ice. Oh. Yeah. Nice. Because I know the Carolina Panther quarterback would never see ghosts. No, definitely not. You would hope not. I'd hope not. I mean, I wouldn't draft a quarterback that's seen ghosts. I wouldn't trade for a quarterback that sees ghosts. That'd just be Only stupid. Thing, oh, only, only worst thing you could do from that is take a running back number two overall. That would be bad. I mean, like everyone knows, running backs have a short shelf life. So unless you're just one offensive weapon away from you know going over the top, that'd be a very dumb decision to do that. Yeah, it would be. It would be very dumb. But luckily, a certain team is not run. Uh, does not have their draft run by that certain idiot anymore. Oh, well, well, maybe you'll get lucky, and Dan Schneider will sell Washington and buy uh, the Giants. Wouldn't that be lucky? No. <laughs> Why? You don't want to get on the Dan Schneider experience? No. Are you no. sure? It's a fun ride. And by fun, I mean I, depressing. No. No. Very no. depressing. My only words will be no for the rest of this episode to prove that. No. You know I could take advantage of this, right? <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> That's what I thought. That's what I thought. As far as the only thing I have to add, playoff hockey starts for some of us next week, which is fun. It's a nice thing. Does no. it start for the Devils? That's the only way we're going to end this show, because I think that's a perfect way to end it. Until next time, don't forget to uh, play ball. <laughs> <laughs>